Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, we're starting a brand new series, and it's a series called uh, Made for More. And it's one that has resonated in my heart because it's very easy in the current culture that we're in, very easy as we come out of COVID, whatever that means, um, to be exhausted. Are any of you exhausted? <laughs> I, I talk to so many leaders and so many people, they're like, I'm ready to go, but I just, I feel tired. And as we look, I know some, some of you are laughing, that's, a, that's an exhaustive laugh, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> and as we go, when we look to the word of the Lord, we see these incredible scriptures that God has given us. I think one of my favorites is found in John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and that you would have, a, that you would have it abundantly to the full. This, this one version says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. How many are like, yes, sign me up for that. Jesus, sign me up for that. But a lot of times we feel like we, we, we fall short of it or we miss it or we hear about it. And we try to say the same things because even like when, you know, this week started school, I mean, a, a lot of kids, a lot of students are back in school today and, and teachers are, are back and administrators are back and all those things are happening. And what are some of the things that you say to your kids as they go to school? You say, you can do anything, Right? Hope, are you saying good things to your kids? Or you're like, hope it goes better for you. Um, we, <laughs> we try to say, typically we try to say good things, right? You're smart, you're wise, you're important. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Just, you know, my mom and dad used to say, the world is an, is an oyster. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? I don't know. I, I hate oysters. Love them now. But we want to encourage, we want to say all these good things. But I think it's important to recognize that as we come out of these two years. It wasn't that pre-COVID everything was going awesome, right? There were challenges before. But as we go through what we've gone through and as we begin to come out into what many people call this new normal, we recognize it's not just a light switch. Life is not a light switch. It's not something that you just go, okay, I used to be this way, now I'm a light switch. And even in our walk with the Lord, when we surrender our life to Christ, his presence fills us, he strengthens us, and we sense this new power but there's still a process in walking with the Lord. And that's really what this series is about. It's this recognition that we were made for more, that we're made for more than just simply surviving. There's more than just worrying about the future. There's more than just, it's not about just trying to be a good person, but it's about taking on the ways of Christ and our ways for this, this life to the full, this abundant life that the Lord has called us to. And this, I'm not talking about prosperity because we know money is not the answer to everything. It's the answer to my light bill, but it's not the answer to everything else in life. We know that, m- that money does not solve everything in our life. Jesus was talking about something much more than that. So I'm, I'm not talking about a prosperity doctrine here. I'm talking about walking in the fullness of what God has. We're, we're, we're filled with his power. We're filled with his spirit. That when we're talking with people, when we're sharing the love of Christ, we sense him flowing through our words. It's like when I'm talking to people that Jesus is taking over in that moment. That when I'm having these conversations, I sense the Holy Spirit moving in those moments. Are you hungry for that? Do you enjoy that time when you're going in and going, apart from Jesus, this will not work, and then Jesus shows up, and the miracle takes place. That's the rich, abundant life. That's what I'm praying for. If you want that, would you pray with me today as we dive into this series and dive into this word? Lord, we know that you've called us for so much more. You've not, 
You're not giving your children just a survival mentality, just to hold on, just to hang on. But God, we want to experience the fullness of Jesus in our lives. Your power, your words, even in the valley of the shadow of death, that we will not fear because you are with us. That when we feel weak, we surrender to you, we experience that strength that you promised us. And Lord, your word, it's, it's laid it out for us, but we know that we're in a culture that would confuse us and divide us and cause us to forget who we are in you. So Lord, remind us today. Lord, I pray for those, so many in this room, Lord, they, when I speak of survival, they respond with, Pastor Duane, that's where I'm at. I feel like I can't take one more thing right now. Lord, would, they, would you fill them in this moment? By the mighty rush of the Spirit, may you fill them. Fill this place, fill us to recognize that it's in you that we move and we live and we breathe and we have our being. So Lord, speak through these words. Speak through your word today. Transform us and ignite us, I pray, in your name, in your name. Everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. So let's look to the word of the Lord. When we look at the plan for moving forward, Jesus has laid out a plan that is very countercultural, very countercultural. And we see this in Matthew 16. And this, this, this wasn't just countercultural today. This, this was countercultural back then, I think, from the beginning of time. And he's laid it out in Matthew 16. And it says in verse 21, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter, how many people love Peter? <laughs> I love Peter because I'm like, yeah, this is, probably, this is probably something I would say, right? Trying to step up in the moment Jesus said you're going to die. I'd want to be like Peter and stand up and, and come alongside. And, and it says here that, that Peter actually began to reprimand him. And he said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Don't you want to do that? Someone tells you something bad and you're like, heaven forbid, this will never happen to you. It sounds like the right words to say. But then Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. Wow. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Not from God's. And then Jesus said to his disciples, and he said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then he says in 26, he says, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Powerful words, powerful interaction. And as we look at these words today from Jesus, we see very clearly that Jesus laid out that there are two paths out there. You know, we, we tend to think that, that there's a million paths, there's a million opportunities, but really everything boils down to two paths, and Jesus said that very plainly. And we see from this that there's the path of following Jesus. 
as it relates to how we live this life. It's following Jesus, which means we give up our life. We lose our life. We give our lives for his sake. And that's how we find life, by giving it up for the Lord. But Jesus also says very plainly that there's a second path. And the second path is following yourself. In other words, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it in my eyes and things that work best for me. And if Jesus accompanies me, great. And that's where we are today as a society. See, society's answer to how you live your life, how you find success, how you find that joy and peace is that you serve yourself. In other words, if you want to have this rich, full life, the answer is found within you, right? Is this a surprise to you? Um, That it's, it's by looking within. See, God's answer is that you find your life by losing it and surrendering it. But I believe today, as well as so many they recognize that we're witnessing an implosion of our culture as it rejects God and as it rejects the the roadmap that our creator God has laid out for us. It used to be that cultures and societies would focus on the good of the others, the collective good, and like loving your neighbor around you and having a thought for those around you that that's how a society and a culture thrive. But now that's been replaced with the importance of individual freedom. You know, one of, my, uh, one of the books I've been reading and going through has been a book by a pastor as well as a cultural commentator, uh, Pastor Mark Sayers. Uh, he's an Aussie. He's from Australia. Powerful book and uh, incredible pastor. And he works a lot and does a lot of study in how Christianity and culture intersect, how they work together. And in his book, Disappearing Church, which is a wonderful study, he reveals today, and he says it so well, that the highest good in our culture today is now individual freedom and happiness. That when you look at what's the highest good, what is the thing that our culture, and by a culture, he's, he's not talking just an American culture, he's talking predominantly about a Western culture, that the highest good is now individual freedom and happiness. He goes on to point out that historically, uh, in societies, the Bible and other religious texts, these were the things that would set the foundation of a society. That when it came to how we made choices, that theology and philosophy, they used to be the main sources of filtering through that were the ways that we would explore our own identity. But today, that's been replaced by experiences. It's been replaced by the things I desire. It's been replaced by personal preferences and personal feelings. And it's a view that places the individual at the center of everything as being the true source of right or wrong, meaning that how I feel, how I think, the things that interact with me, whatever's best for me is what's best. That's, that's how I find my identity. That's how I find my joy. That's how I find it's, you know, it's, it's about me and what I think. In other words, whatever I think, whatever I feel, uh, these are the things that are true. And these are the things that should be fiercely defended and upheld. So anything that attacks this is rejected and conversely attacked. Is a belief that, that says, I can only find joy and peace as I pursue whatever I feel and whatever I desire. And to that end, uh, traditions, regulations, and social ties that restrict freedom, happiness, and self-expression uh, are to be deconstructed or destroyed. So anything that attacks that, anything that comes against uh, Dwayne and what Dwayne thinks and what Dwayne feels... I need to quickly deconstruct those. I need to destroy those. And this is the ultimate end of this path. Unfortunately, as we do this, the end of this path is that 
some of the key structures that have been placed by God to sustain us and, and to provide what we need are being deconstructed. Um, in the structure, families do not survive this structure. I think one of the biggest things that, um, that a new parent will quickly, quickly discover is that when you have a baby, it is no longer about you. <laughs> Babies don't care what you feel. Babies don't care if you want sleep. Babies don't care if you haven't eaten for a long time, right? They, they, they just don't care. See, family, families are meant to be training grounds for serving each other. The families that do the best are the families that serve each other. And as a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a guardian, whatever your family structure is, one of your biggest goals is to teach that child how to not think about themselves, right? Now, that's a process, I've never seen any baby succumb to that, right? It's, it's a process over time, and even sometimes can head on into adulthood. <laughs> so we head into those ways. But, but families were meant to be these grounds where, where you, you learn that, where you learn how to do that. You, you learn how to love each other. You learn how to, how to provide for the needs of each other. And new parents quickly discover that this requires a lot of sacrifice in every area of their life, that their time is not their own, their money is not their own. Kids take your money. Did you know that? You know, uh, they, kids take your emotions, kids take your everything, but aren't they worth it? They're worth it, right? You're like, yes, they are. <laughs> they are. But families do not survive that structure that is me-centered. Uh, relationships don't survive the structure, whether it's a friendship or a romantic interest. They, they don't survive in a setup where the individual focuses only on themselves. When when relationships only survive when each person is concerned about the other, right? If you head into a relationship and each person is out for themselves, that's not going to make it. It's one of the biggest conversations that Stephanie and I have in premarital counseling as we set up these couples for a rich marriage is that it's not about you getting your own stuff. It's about the two becoming one and you bend towards each other. Because if it's just one person bending towards the other, that's a dictatorship. Do dictatorships work well in marriage? No. It doesn't work well in anything. And even as it relates to the kings, the Western world doesn't even like kings. We get rid of kings, right? We, uh, kings are, are tough for us because we like this idea of mutually submitting toward each other. And as it relates to a marriage, as it relates to these relationships, this is how God created us. I am a better person because I learned through marriage what that mutual submission is to my wife. I'm a different person today than when we got married way back in 1992. I know the year. March 7th, by the way. <laughs> right? But w that was the lesson. An individualistic mindset will destroy it. Any relationship you have. Friendships don't work that way. We call those narcissistic and dysfunctional, don't we? Right? If you're in a relationship and it's all just about the other person... See, the data on how focusing on ourselves being so destructive is abundant. You can go out and you can find this, you can see this everywhere, but yet our culture continues to fight for it as being the way of true peace and joy. And, and our culture continues to preach that the answer to true peace and, and the answer to true, true love, it comes from looking within ourselves, but it's not working. It's not working for our culture. You, you know, I, recent, I recently discovered that there is a World Happiness Report. Did you know that there's a World Happiness Organization? Didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. It didn't make me any happier. 
Um, but the World Happiness Report states this. It states that over the last couple of decades, general happiness has declined and continues to do so. Here's what it says. It says that numerous indicators of low psychological well-being, such as depression, suicidal ideation, and self-harm, increased sharply among adolescents since 2010, particularly among girls and young women. It says that depression and self-harm also increased over this time period among children and adolescents in the UK. So this, this is before all COVID. We can't blame COVID for everything. This is things that were already happening that the more that we look inward for ourselves, the more that we implode. And even NBC News recently, recently reported that Americans are the unhappiest that they've been in 50 years. When they laid out all the metrics, and you can go Google it. You know, not now. You can, go, you can Google it. But what they found is that only 14% of those living in America report as having, being happy. Are you happy? 14%. Yep. It doesn't work. I think many of us, we recognize that today. And we experience these deep, dark times. And, but the Bible is very clear that looking inward, looking to ourselves, it never works because it places us in that position of God. I am not God, and when I try to pretend God, I'm a terrible God. And when I try to pretend God, whether I know it or not, it destroys me and it has just destructive results on those around me. Only God is God. That's why the Bible is very clear that as it relates to God, he's our heavenly father, and he's, he's out for our good like every good father. But what that good is, it's a transformative work, right? It's a transformative work. That's why as it relates to how we find this joy, how we find the life, this life to the full that God is calling us to, God's answer is very simple. It's, it's in serving others. God's answer for how we operate as a culture, how we operate as a society, how we function is in serving others. And in this passage, Jesus is very clear that if we want to gain our life, it begins with losing it. Again, to go back to our text in Matthew, it says, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And again, what will it benefit you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? I think it's important for us to remember that the disciples, they'd heard about Jesus their whole life, right? These were good Jewish men. They were raised in these traditions. They knew what was going on. They had these expectations of who the Messiah, who he would be, and that he was coming to rescue them their whole lives. They had this image built up of who Jesus would be. But they were looking for a Messiah that would come in power and authority as they defined it. As someone that would come in and would destroy their enemies and smite them and everyone else is bad and then bring us back to a position of power, a position of influence. And this sounded like a good plan to them. But this is not the plan that Jesus laid out. Jesus told them something completely different. Now, he used language like they like. Like Jesus would, would use language of, uh, of, of like ruling and reigning and having life to the full and being filled with joy and peace. And, and later he would tell them that you will do even greater things. So they had excitement built and they said, maybe it is going to go back to what we thought about. But the disciples started to resist and started to reprimand Jesus when his methodology didn't fit. See, we, we want all the fruit 
that, that the Lord has. We want all the goodness that comes along with God, but we want it with our own methods, our own ways. But have you ever heard the, the devils in the details? That it's the details, it's that methodology, that it's often in the way that we live things out, it's in the way that we do things that we misstep because, yeah, the fruit, yeah. I want to plant an apple tree and have apples. It's getting harder to find good apples in Washington. What's with that? Right? But there's a methodology to that. There's a thing that goes in place. And the thing that they resisted, and I think the thing that we find ourselves resisting, is that Jesus' methodology is you lay down your life, you lose your life, you surrender, you die to yourself. See, previously in Matthew 5, Jesus, he even went a little further. In in Matthew 5, 38, Jesus said, You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Don't try that right now. And he said, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. What kind of madness is this? Right? Someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek. I remember as a kid listening to this and going, you know, daddy, what? Someone slaps me, you know? I mean, how does hockey work in that environment? Right? What kind of madness? See, but what Jesus is saying, he's, Jesus is not saying in this moment that there's no need for civil justice. Right? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. We're, these are areas of civil justice where we have authorities. I'm very thankful for the police. Right? I know every, every organization has its problems. Everything is difficulty. But, what, but I'm so thankful for the police. And what I've found, those that I know personally are incredible men and women that lay down their life to protect the societies around them. And I am thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. I'm, thank, I'm thankful for, for what we have and the ways that we have around us and security and, and things that protect us and allow us to provide safe places f- for our children. Those things are so important. See, what Jesus is talking about here, Jesus is, is not talking about the civil level. He's talking about how we, intera- how we interact one with another. Right? And when he talked about slapping one another, that was a way of saying when someone insults you, right? Jewish people weren't going around slapping each other all the time like that. You know, I, I don't see any evidence of that. I mean, the, it did happen, but he's not talking about this day-to-day course. I mean, that's, that's a messed up place if you have that. He's talking about these insults. And what he's saying is that if somebody insults you, if someone's looking at you and they're just filled with insults, that as a follower of Christ, your reaction is not to bring in this civil direction of an eye for an eye. Well, you're shorter. I mean, this is, this, this is silly. This is Facebook and, and stuff going on, right? This, this is ridiculous stuff. It's not insults back and forth. What he's saying is that that is not how we respond as believers, as the body of Christ, He's saying that as if someone insults you, you turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus did. And that is hard. This is incredibly difficult. And maybe it's not hard for you, but man, it's hard for me because I think one of the hardest things for me is the thought that I may be misunderstood. Do you struggle with that? Right? 
The thought that someone's misunderstanding me or there's someone that someone's misquoting me or the thought that someone is misrepresenting me, that's very difficult for me. Another thing that's difficult for me is the thought that somebody might hate me. Can you believe that? (laughs) Right. Or maybe, who loves being hated here? You're like, yeah, bring it. And I'm not talking about Husky, Oregon, right, rivalries. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is that we typically want to be liked. I've even met people that are like, I don't care if anyone likes me. Well, we do. <laughs> I enjoy when someone gives me a compliment. I enjoy when someone says, at a boy or good job or whatever. But what Jesus is talking about, he's going a little bit deeper here. And he's saying that the path that is set before you, you're going to be mistreated. As a follower of Christ, you're going to be misunderstood. And the culture of that day and the culture that we are in now, if you are following Christ, you're going to be intentionally misunderstood. You're going to be intentionally mistreated. You are going to be insulted. You're going to receive persecution in many different ways. And he's saying that the answer is not to heap on the insults and the way back because that never, that never works. That's not what Jesus did. See, Jesus is pointing out to his disciples here one, don't be surprised when this happened. He was very clear in 1518. He said, don't be surprised by any of this. He said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. If you're like Jesus, that comes with it. But what Jesus is doing here, he's saying that our purpose, our life to the full that he talked about in John 10, 10, it's not found in being loved by others. It's not found in being understood by others. And it's not found by being viewed as always right for each other, right? I mean, the days are gone when we don't know what to do. Let's ask a Christian. (laughs) That day is gone. What he's saying here is that life to the full is found in sharing the love of Christ with those around you. Life to the full is found in sharing the love of Christ with those around you. And the love of Christ, I'm not talking about this weak, anemic, self-serving love. But love is defined as laying down your life. It's defined as giving up your own life. It is a sacrificial love that when we talk about sharing the love of Christ, it's really hard to share the love of Christ with those that you are, that you are fighting with. Right? Someone slaps me with an insult. I can't slap them with an insult and say, oh, by the way, Jesus loves you. (laughs) But how often do we do that? I think COVID exposed a lot of that, that I think the body of Christ lost a lot of ground as they saw Christians fighting with each other online. And then later sending an invitation or trying to say, hey, you know, Jesus is good and he's here without any apology for the action that took place. That's how non-Christians, that's what they talk to me about. Things that they see. I hear about the love of Christ, but there's things I see that are no different. The, I, I, I think so many times we try to become so relevant that we end up being irrelevant. That there's nothing different, there's no change. Jesus laid his life down. The religious leaders took advantage of that, but the world watching, they stood in awe of what he was doing. See, we share the love of Christ when we lay our life down, when we give up our own way. And this was the challenge of Peter. Peter struggled with this. 
Remember the passage? Jesus, he tells his disciples that he must suffer and die. Peter reprimands Jesus and says, this will not happen to you. And then Jesus basically acknowledges him, you're not walking in my way anymore. You've, you've gone to the dark side, essentially. This is not the way of Christ. He, said, he even said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. And he said, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. That's why we need to die to ourselves. That's why Jesus said we need to take up our cross. We don't experience the power of resurrection in our life until we experience death in our life. If you want the power of resurrection, you need to die first. This means that we follow Jesus, we lay it down. And, that, and in the world that we are in, t- in today, it breaks my heart because the majority are separated from Christ. We're in, I was, had this conversation with someone b- before. We're in one of the most unreached, most unreached cities in America. People send missionaries here. One of the greatest things that we can do is lay down our life. I mean, think about Jesus on the cross. He was beaten, he was abused, he was misrepresented. Even Pilate knew he was innocent and tried to give them another way. Well, if I give them this murderer, certainly they'll, shoot, they'll choose this murderer instead of Jesus, and not even that. He, he tried to wash his hands of the whole thing because it was obvious to him Jesus was an innocent man. But in the midst of this, in the midst of being misunderstood, mistreated, and rejection, remember Jesus' prayer? Forgive him. Forgive him. His disciples, gone, hiding. Jesus, his prayer was, Jesus, was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, the New Testament is very clear. It repeatedly states that the test of how a person loves God, that the test in our life of being filled with the power of God and our love for him is reflected in how we love people around us, right? It's what it says in 1 John 4.20. It's not about having the right words. It's not about posting the right things. And it's not about even having the right answers, right? We can, we can memorize answers. The test is in how do we treat others around us. That's why in Matthew 5, Jesus was, was very clear. He said, this is what love looks like. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, it looks like this. Matthew 5, 42, he said, it looks like giving to the one who begs. In 5.44, he said, it, love looks like loving your enemies. Think about somebody that's very difficult in your life right now. Now, it's very easy for us to think about political enemies or enemies that work and all that kind of stuff. Think about somebody in your life. He's saying, lay down your life. He's saying, turn the other cheek. He's saying, if they ask for one thing, go the extra mile. Give them your coat. And he says in 544, Matthew 544, he says, love looks like praying for those who persecute you. Jesus went on to say that as it relates to love, this is perfect. This is what perfect love looks like. Perfect love doesn't look like just me loving my wife Stephanie and, and loving my four kids, right? That's easy. 
Now, I know there's difficult times in that, right? And there's things when, I, when it can be very difficult, but these are people that I've made this covenant relationship with, this agreement with, and they're in my life, and they're there. And I'm not just saying this because her mom is here, right? But I, I have an awesome wife. You, you guys know that, don't you, right? Yeah. I promise it's not just because you guys are here, but I mean, it really is. We're not perfect, but her commitment to me is strong, right? See, many people think Canadians are perfect. We're not. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Don't, don't tell Canada. But Canadians are not perfect. And it can be very difficult at times. But even in this, Jesus is saying it goes beyond this. It goes beyond who are those that they're out for your evil. They're out against you. Pray for them. Give to them. Love them. This is perfect love. Why is this love perfect? This love is perfect because this is how God loves us. When we were in our sin, when we were rejected, when we were lying, when we were doing all the things that we do that no one sees but God, God loved us. God sent his son to die for us. God did all these things for us. He gave us a Bible Number one seller has been vetted more than any other piece of literature. Don't let anybody fool you about the Bible that it hasn't gone through very much testing and, and all these conspiracy theories. It is all alive from the enemy. There's no Bible, there's no piece of literature, there's no book that has been vetted the way that the Bible has. When you study it and you see it, it is rock solid, it is tight. Historically, in any other way, dive into it. Don't, don't believe everything you hear. Journalism died a long time ago. Dive into it. He gave us this book that has withstood the test of time. So we can read it. We can hear it. It's in all these other languages. There's commentaries. There's all kinds of great teaching. Because he loves us. Because he doesn't want us to be fooled. And he did that for people that were against him. This is the love of God. He loved us when we're set against him. God's perfect love is a love that is out for the good of others. It puts others above ourselves. It's the golden rule. Remember the golden rule? Or maybe this is the first time that maybe some, maybe some of you have heard about this for the first time, but I actually had, a, my mom gave me a ruler that had the golden rule on it. <laughs> and it was simply do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? Man, my mama said that to me every day. It's about others. It's not about yourself. It's not about yourself. It's about others. It's about others. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. See, these are not just how, how a Christian has life to the full, but the principles of God, the Bible says, it works for the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. Whether or not you believe in God, these principles of looking out for the good of others, historically, this is where we have thrived. See, when societies have focused on the good of others in the community, looking out for the good of each other, they have always, always grown and thrived because the principles of God, they work. When we look at just ourselves, we implode, but when we're out for the good of those around us, we thrive. You know, in that book I mentioned earlier, Mark Sayers, he shares this research that I think is powerful. He shares how a Chinese leaders schooled in the art of the long-term view 
They look curiously to the West to uncover the secret of her ascent from a murderous medieval backwater to a peaceful and prosperous culture. And their investigations, Mark Sayer says, uncovered a key factor. As an academic from China's Academy of the Social Sciences explains it this way, so this is from the uh, from China's Academy of Social Sciences that they were tasked with this question, why is the West prospering so quickly, such a young country? These were the findings that they said, we were asked to look into what accounted for the preeminence of the West all over the world. They said, at first we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system But in the past 20 years, they said, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. That is why, now think about this is China saying this. That is why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the successful transition to democratic politics. And then they made this powerful statement, we don't have any doubts about this. How ironic a country that persecutes Christians. When they studied it, when they dug in, when they found out, they said, this is what has made them prosper in such a short amount of time. That when they lean into the teachings of Jesus, when, when they operate in these ways, a country flourishes. See, we were made for more. Not more stuff, not more videos, not more of all that stuff, but we, God has made us for so much more. He didn't create us and he just didn't leave us to our own devices. And, but we were made to walk in communion with him. As the worship team comes back this morning, I pray that this truth will ring in your heart because we are in a time and a season where it's no longer beneficial to say I'm, I'm a Christian. Right? I can remember like early in ministry, if I went in to buy a car and said, oh yeah, I'm a pastor over here. Oh, well, hey, oh pastor, let's give you a good deal. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> it's no longer to our advantage that there's such a force that speaks against it. And there are people that would try to label Christianity as haters. There are people that would try to label this church as a hate group. There are people that would try to, try to silence. That we're to a point in time that if we are not completely and totally surrendered to Jesus, we will not make it. There's no more lukewarm Christianity. There, there's no more playing around. Talk to teenagers in high school. They'll tell you their experience. Talk to people at work that they're, in, that they're trying to be filled with the power of Jesus in their workplace. They'll tell you, it's tough. Because there's so much misinformation. And there's so many insults. And Jesus is saying that when you walk in that way, whether it's at school or at job or wherever you go, the temptation to give in or to just be silent or to retaliate is so strong that if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've not saying, God, you're worthy of it all in every situation, I'm trusting you, whatever happens, it is yours, you won't make it. 
That's why Jesus looked at his disciples and said, this is perfect love. You lay your life down, take up your cross, you follow me, and you experience now the power of Christ in you. But there's no, there's no halfway. You're either in or you're out. That's why Jesus said, be either hot or cold. If you look warm, there's nothing I can do with you. Can we all stand together? Lord, I pray that your word would be alive to us. I pray that it would be this word that encourages us to lean into what you have for us, I pray. Lord, as we respond, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us. That we wouldn't just hear this. For many of us, we may not be surprised by any of this. But Lord, speak to us in this moment. How would you have us respond, I pray. And this morning, as we take some time to do this, I I think it's it's a great evaluation time. Many schools begin this, the school year by just doing these little surveys. Here's, here's just a little, little self-survey. And just ask yourself, what path am I on today? And I'm not asking you just to give the right answer, right? It's like, well, Jesus. But when you look at your life, how you're walking, how you're living it out, is there evidence that, Dwayne, I'm just, I'm just living for myself? <laughs> or am I completely surrendered to God? I'll give you a little tip here because it's easy for me to go, no, I'm totally on the right path, totally surrendered. No, one of the things I've learned that flags in my life when I'm, start, when I'm less surrendered, now, as your pastor, I'm, I'm a Christian, okay? Don't worry. But things that cause me to, to flare up and go, Lord, am I completely surrendered in my life is insecurity. When insecurity rises in my life, insecurity means that I'm relying on me more than God. And I can fool myself. I can fool you. But when I feel insecurity, when I feel like, oh, I I can't do it, the Holy Spirit says, you're right. (laughs) You're insecure because you're not leaning on me. That's what I'm talking about. Now, for some of you, it may be, you know what? Yeah, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Do that. Come forward. Pray with one of these precious people here. But for many of us looking around the room, I know you love the Lord. It, It may be, you know what? I'm a little insecure, God. Help me not to depend on myself. That's why I'm feeling so down. I'm just, I'm leaning on myself. It's, it's insecurity because in myself, I'm very insecure. I'm worthless. And invite the Holy Spirit to say, what do I need to surrender? What do I need to give up? And then that second part as we respond, I want to invite you to ask yourself, how am I loving others? How am I loving my friends? Is it both ways? How am I loving my enemies? That's a tough one, isn't it? And then where do I need help? So as I respond today, there are communion stations. Do that. There's prayer walls. Maybe you want to write it out. Maybe you want to turn to someone next to you and say, can you help me? Can you pray with me? Can you, let's pray about this together. Or come forward and pray with one of these people. But do something. Or maybe you want to kneel where you are and say, God, as I head into this fall, I want to be on your path, completely surrendered to you, living that life to the full. I was made for more, so God, be alive in me. Help me not to succumb to the temptation to just to give insults for insults or to be silent or just to withdraw. But God, let your boldness rise up within me to know what to do and to have the boldness to do it, I pray. In your name. Because God loves us so much that he knows that 
it's not good for us to be alone. We were not made to be alone. One of the things that we do is we talk about gathering, and we're gathering here today. So this is important. We need to be together. We need to encourage one another. But one of the ways that we grow is in developing these smaller relationships, these friendships. We call that groups here because we want to make sure that we're providing an opportunity for you to get together. And you've heard us talk about it's another group series, and this is not just a pitch. It's not a sales pitch. I'm not selling you. It's totally free. It's totally free. But we believe in getting together so much around the Word of God and building those relationships. This is our benediction. Let's say this before we leave today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.